a story about an airplane that may make you reconsider what you have for lunch. And then we travel to Afghanistan as we go on a patrol with the Special Forces of the United States of America. Our mission? To find and destroy the giant of Kandahar. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We are bing, in an airport. <laughs> I don't know, Harry kind of... There's a piano player in every airport I've ever been to. Here's a conspiracy theory. It's the same dude. It's the same piano player. He always does look the same. What if that is some sort of like portal or rift and they're putting the same piano player in every airport so the the powers that be the illuminati can laugh at us and say oh you take those airplanes we have portal technology even this lowly piano player can shift between location like that but you you pleb you poor person take a plane George Soros disappears into a ball of smoke. I am everywhere at once, at once, at once, George Soros. Anyways, it's always the same piano player. We're going to an airport in Charlotte, North Carolina. The date is January 8th, 2003. So we're going to, we use their portal technology. I choked out the piano player. I'm like, get him. Get him in a chokehold. And I'm like, I hope you know how to play the piano. You're like, no, I don't. No, I don't. And I'm like, don't blow our cover. We put his clothes on, but there's only one of him. So I'm wearing his shirt and you're wearing his pants. And now we're standing in front of every piano at the same point and time at every airport in the world. Soros is like, ah, they found out our secret. A bunch of Soros clones are chasing us. A bunch of 80-year-old old men are chasing us through the airport. But after that madcap adventure slash young adult novel I'm going to write, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's January 8th, 2003. And on the airstrip, on the airfield, we see a little plane, a little puddle jumper, a Beechcraft 1900, a twin propeller plane being loaded. It's being operated by Air Midwest, and it's flight 5481. And we see... A string of people getting on the plane. There, This plane can hold 19 people, and there's 19 people getting on board. 18 people and a kiddo. There's a crew of two people. We're watching them get on. And you turn to me and you go like, Jason, this is story. I'm assuming this story does not have a happy ending, does it? And I'm like, nope. I guess it has a happy ending if you really, really want people to lose weight. And you're like, what'd you say? And I was like, nothing. I'm drinking my diet caffeine-free Pepsi. They're getting on the plane. Now, we're back in 2003. Now, but even in 2003, okay, America has, I think the world does too. A lot of people put this on America, but it's kind of all over the place now. But America has a weight problem. America does tend to have a weight problem. So when we see people getting on this plane, we're like, they're not super fat. They're not, well, one or two might have been. There, well, There's another clue where this story is going. But it wasn't, they weren't headed to a Weight Watchers convention, or they weren't headed to a WWE, they weren't wrestling for the WWE, they weren't these 300-pound hulked-out muscle people. Normal Americans, normal Americans, 
they're all getting on the plane. And you're like, that's weird. When that one got on, the plane sagged a bit. And I was like, yes, they. some of them may have been heavier than the average American. I don't know if they're so heavy to sag an airplane to mess up with their shocks. But anyways, and then we see the luggage people. The, the luggage people, they're like mole people. They're made of luggage. They live at the airport. The baggage, bag, baggage handlers, I guess they're called. They're throwing the bags into the back of the airplane. And we see them start to struggle with one. They're like, uh, uh, and we're like, are they weak? Are, they, are these weak humans? What are they doing existing in our society? And they throw the bag in. And then another bag. And they're like, uh, and there were two bags on this plane. Baggage normally is 50 pounds a bag. You know that you have a weight limit on your luggage, but you don't think it's that big of an issue. But it turns out that weight is probably one of the biggest issues with flight. Because it determines how much fuel you're going to burn. So you put 19 people on a plane, plus all their luggage, plus the two crew, and you take off, you're going to burn more fuel if the people weigh more, if the plane weighs more, and less fuel if it doesn't. But anyway, so they load everyone up, and they're doing all their calculations, and they have dis- they have figured out that this plane is underneath the weight limit. This style of plane has a weight limit of 17,120 pounds. According to their calculations, this plane has on it 17,028 pounds. They're less than 100 pounds underneath that weight limit. It's a business. You have to put as many people on there as possible because that's how they make their money. So they fire up the plane. And we're standing there in the airline and I am look at you and I'm like, okay, so this is either going to have a real funny ending, depending on your sense of humor, or it's just going to be grim. And the plane starts to take off. And right when it kind of leaves the air, we start to see the nose kind of point straight up. It's 90 feet off the ground. And the nose of the plane is 20 degrees in the air. And everyone in the airport knows something's wrong. Even the three-year-old who's never been to an airport before, holding a little balloon of a plane, knows something is wrong. It's now at a 54-degree angle. It's going almost straight up at this point. It goes up 1,150 feet, and then stalls. Thirty-five seconds from the plane just barely starting to lift off the runway to it smashing into an airport hangar kills everybody on board. Now you're like Jason, that's not funny. Well, here's the thing: as I put my arm around your shoulder and we're walking away from the fiery debris behind us, it's not funny in a sense that all these people lost lost their lives. That's tragic, but it's funny because the the way the plane crashed or i mean i guess it's not i guess it's not funny at all you're right you got me it was a joke i was testing you to see how sick and disturbed you were and you passed so what happened was this is what they figured there's two things and if only one of them had happened it wouldn't have been a huge issue one of them was there was this thing called the elevator control in the plane and when the plane takes off you're supposed to be able to pull the joystick or pull the steering console whatever you call it And the plane will stop going up and will level out, basically. That's an idiot's version of saying it, because I'm the one who did the research on that. 
And the night before they were working, they do maintenance on planes all the time. The person who was doing the maintenance on it had never worked on this type of airplane before. Had worked on elevator controls for a long time, but never worked on an elevator control on a Beechcraft 1900. So didn't have it adjusted right. And then when they were supposed to do the double check on it, they skipped that part of the process. Now, if the elevator control isn't a deal breaker, and it actually flew after the maintenance, it flew from one airport to the one in Charlotte, North Carolina, fine. But there were, in a sense, too many overweight people on the plane. So when the plane took off, it wasn't just 100 pounds under the limit. It was 580 pounds over the limit. So when it, right when it lifted off, the plane goes, "Uh uh-oh, and they can't control it. They know the two bags were heavy. So they can account for an extra 40 pounds of it. But they're saying it has to be the passengers who accounted for the rest of this weight. And you're like, how did they know? This is what's fascinating about it. And I find this super bizarre that they don't weigh you. They don't weigh us as Pat. Not just you. They just weigh you. Everyone else is going to the airport and they're like, you, step aside. And you're like, oh, I ain't fine. Why they don't weigh us? Because it's such an, it's such an essential part to flying. They Back then, they assumed that every adult, the average adult weight between men and women was 175 pounds. And this is how they came up with that. The average man weighs 190 pounds. The average woman weighs 140 pounds. Well, what's in between those two things? 175. So, there you go. Every human, you can average out the flight to be 175 pounds. For kids, they say they're 80 pounds. From the age 2 to 12, they're 80 pounds. So, it's going to work out. But apparently, obviously, it didn't. There was too much weight on this flight. Think about it. When I was flying, when I was 350 pounds on a plane, you would need how many children to even me out to be 175 pounds? So this started a huge thing. They wanted to, uh, the certain airlines have raised the average weight up to 190. But again, when a plane is built for only a specific amount of weight. It limits how many people they can cram onto that plane. So it's a business decision. Other airlines are like, listen, this was a fluke. You could throw fatties all day long on one of our planes. As long as that elevator control works, they would not have had a problem. They just would have ran out of fuel quicker. But anyway, so the moral of the story is, if you're going to be on a plane, try to be on a plane with a bunch of people lighter and smaller than you, preferably people made of ether, people made of nothingness. That'd be a good thing. Also, be rich, fly private plane. Or find George Soros's orb technology, and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. Let's move on to our next story. Our next story. We're going to fly. We're going to leave behind the Carpenter Copter. You're like, no, Jason, no, no. I want to use the Carpenter Copter. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to hop. We're going to fly commercial. You're like, no. Like, yes. We're going to fly on this commercial plane that is flying to first a candy factory. You're like, ah, Jason. And then to a... Pudding factory, you're like, that's, that, 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 that doesn't exist. No, no, no. And then finally to Afghanistan. What airline possibly does this? I don't know. But we're flying on that airline. And the whole time, every time the plane slightly moves, you're like, oh. I'm like, dude, planes are supposed to move. We end up, we're going to land in Afghanistan. We're going to land at a military base. So after the, after we all get interrogated by the military for violating their airspace one for uh, for uh flying into afghanistan two for 
infiltrating U.S. military airspace and three to get some delicious, delicious pudding and candy after they've had their fill and we're all just sitting there and we're all bloated. I'm not, of course. I stay away from that type of garbage. We're walking around this military base in the Kandahar province in Afghanistan. The year is 2002 and we meet a guy. He's like a general dude. He's walking around and he's like, You're here because a lot of people recommended this story, right? And I said, yes. We had Jeffrey Perry on YouTube. We had James Lang, Dylan McConnell, also on YouTube. And then Glue Man on Twitter. We might have ran into him at the Pudding Factory. Isn't that where they... No, gelatin is made out of horse hooves. I wonder if in the same factory where they make glue out of horses, they make jello out of horses. And they just cut the horse in half and then the two halves one half goes down the conveyor belt to elmer's glue and the other half goes down to jello is there who makes jello i think jello itself is the brand name it's not like craft jello or like i think it's just jello is the name of the company i don't know if it's the name of the hey where do you work jello but anyways the horse cuts in half that's where glue man works they all recommended this story and they've been recommending it for probably a year now and I realized something very important about the story, but I, and that's why I'm covering it now as opposed to later or before actually would work as well. But thank you guys for the recommendation. And to be fair, other people may have recommended this story. I tried really hard to find out if that's true. I went through all of my notes, but these are the four that popped up. So we're in Kandahar. That's an old West song, but it fits. And we're standing there and there's wind blowing all over us. And dirt everywhere. And the general is like, listen, boys and possibly girls, I can't see because there's a bunch of dirt in my eyes. He's just filling around. We're like, ah. He goes, we lost a patrol out in the Kandahar province. Some good kids went out there looking for Taliban. And they're gone. So we think that these men have been taken by the Taliban or possibly killed. We need you to move out. Yes, sir. So we go and we're going to hook up with the special forces unit, and they're like, loading up their guns. They're transforming. Apparently, they're transforming into cars and trucks. They're loading up their guns. We show up. We're putting on their uniforms. They're super baggy on us because they're super muscular, and we're just ordinary civilians. But now we've been brought into the military, the armed forces. We're members. That's how it works. You just land on a base. All of a sudden, you remember the military. Osama bin Laden's like, why didn't I think of that? I totally could have won this war. Could have just landed. Oh, well, that's his his past experiences with landing planes leaves a lot to be desired. That's why why that plan didn't work for him. But we did. So we landed at the base. We're now U.S. military. We're walking with this division. There's a dude there named Dan. And he's like, I'm Dan. And I'm leader of this group, this group of made up people. You can tell where I, how I stand on this story. This group, this made up per- group of people. I am the made up captain with my made up name, Dan. We're walking through Kandahar with this guy. And there's a huge cave. And it's up like on this ridge. So there's a cave and then behind us is a huge steep drop off. We're walking with our guns. And Dan's like, come over here. This cave might be real. I don't know whether or not this cave actually exists in Afghanistan. But we're at this cave. And they see a bunch of radio equipment laying outside the cave. And they're like, oh, this is American radio equipment. Like, this they, this must be where the previous team disappeared. 
in front of this cave. So let's assume that there's a bunch of Taliban fighters in this cave. And they hear something moving in the cave. And a giant comes out of the cave. Now, not only a... Well, I guess he is only a giant, but let me tell you what he looked like. 12 to 15 feet tall. He weighed 1,100 pounds, and we know how much he weighed. We'll get to that in a second. Or how much people say he weighed. He has this huge red beard, red hair, six fingers, six toes, and he's holding a giant pike. So it's basically, he's 12 to 15 feet tall. This weapon's at least 8 to 10 feet tall. And, and at seeing this monstrosity, Dan readies his weapon and goes and starts running towards the giant as he's shooting. And the giant just puts the pike out and skewers Dan, lifting him up in the air with one quick motion. No, Dan! We start screaming. Just open fire on the giant. It's getting shot up. Aim for the face! Face getting blown apart. Looks just like the pudding factory. Face just obliterated by all these rounds going into his dome. Falls dies. USA. USA. Dan's ghost is flown out of his corpse. USA. USA. Floats away. So, call in air support. Hello, helicopter army dudes. We need you to come out to this cave and uh, we got an extraction for you. Bring one of the big copters, not one of them whirly birds, over. And they load this giant up onto like a net. The helicopter like drops a net and they we push his body on there. I don't. I'm the now ranking officer now that Dan is dead. I'm just standing there. You're like, Jason, you're not even in the military. Just push his body. You have to push him by the butthole. <laughs> I mean, everyone else gets to grab a limb. You have to get and push him by the butthole into the net. And then the helicopter carries the giant away. And then... The story continues. We hear a story of an airline pilot. So that first version of the story, we've supposedly heard from some special forces operatives. The next part of the story is supposedly an airline pilot says, one day when I was in Afghanistan, a giant body was loaded onto like a C-10 transport plane. And it stank like a skunk. It was one of the worst things I ever smelled. Which if a skunk is the worst thing you've ever smelled, you haven't lived. They loaded it on my plane. I had to fly it back somewhere out of the country and the government covered it up. That actually is the first version of the story we heard. It was on Coast to Coast AM. A guy had mentioned to an author. So there's an author named Stephen Quayle. He's a, quote, giant researcher. Doesn't mean he's an eight-foot-tall researcher, which would be awesome. It means that he spends all of his time researching giants. Biblical giants. The Nephilim is really where this story leads us. And he tells the story on Coast to Coast, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. He says that there was a C-10 pilot who told him that he loaded a giant's body onto a plane from either Iraq or Afghanistan. He wasn't for sure at the time. Stephen Quayle wasn't for sure at the time. Body gets loaded onto the plane. That was the first version of the story, and that was in 2015. In 2016, there was a, there's a YouTube show called Politics Prophecy and the Supernatural Report. And this is done by a guy named L.A. Marazuli. 
he would has done a couple segments on this, and he has a thing called the Watcher Files. Again, he's very focused on the Nephilim. So he brought this about in 2015. This really went viral with his Watcher series. Good. And he he brought this about in 2016. It really went viral when he started doing the story about the giant of Kandahar. That's really what the story goes by. And he tells the story of the special... He tells the story from the point of view of the special forces team. Because he has interviews with two men with blurry faces. They weren't born that way. Their faces are digitally blurred. Don't be scared. And both of these guys tell the story. Now, the one guy said, I was in the special forces team. I knew Dan personally. And the story that I just told you was a story that he told L.A. Then L.A. said, because he was doing interviews about this stuff, he was driving and his limo driver one day said, he, he, they're talking about being on the armed forces. L.A. was talking about the stuff and the, and the um, limo driver goes, oh yeah, you know, I was in the armed forces once back in Afghanistan. It was really weird. They had like this giant show up at, at base or something like that. Or I heard stories about a giant in Kandahar. And L.A.'s basically like, oh my God, oh my God, having an orgasm in the back seat. Tell me more, tell me more. And the limo driver's like, yeah. And then he basically says there was a very, very common story in that part of Afghanistan that the special forces had shot and killed a 12 to 15 foot tall man with six fingers and six toes. So he's also being interviewed for this watcher series and the links are in the show notes. Now there's a couple suspicious things about this. Obviously first off, I'm not going to debate whether or not the existence of giants. I'm going to debate the lineage of the story. We really have a guy making a comment in 2015 that's a secondhand comment. He goes, a guy told me that he was a pilot. He loaded a body up. And then a year later, we get more added to that story where you have the person say, yes, I was at the division where we shot the guy in the face. We don't know who this person is. I get it. But, you know, covering up his identity. However, it wasn't just a, a platoon or a squad of one guy. So let's say how many people you think, 20 other dudes out on this mission, maybe more, maybe less. What the point is, is one person comes forward with a story that amazing, you think we'd be hearing other people tell it. The guy he randomly met who's the limo driver who tells him the story, that adds veracity to it. Because now you're meeting someone who's also a soldier in that area. But during the interview, he goes, L.A. says, so why do you think they're covering up the giant? And the limo driver goes, well, you know that they're trying to destroy all proof of the Bible. And anything that proves the Nephilim exists proves the Bible exists, and L.A.'s like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep. Because that's his contention, too, that giants exist, but the Smithsonian or the U.S. government or the powers that be, George Soros, is personally going out there smashing bones. The idea is that someone is covering up the existence of giants because giants are in the Bible, and giants prove that the Bible exists. So the chances of you randomly bumping into somebody who heard a story about a giant in Kandahar is unlikely the chances of that person also having your same views vis-a-vis the bible and the creation story and the smithsonian trying to cover up the creation story is almost impossible it actually made me less likely to believe that this guy was a random person and not a fan of la's not a fan he may have gotten to know this guy and gotten to know what he liked and changed his story. The story could have been complete. I think the story's completely made up because one, let's go back to the veracity of giants. You have a giant 
who existed, apparently this is one of the Nephilim, is the contention, is that this is the fallen angel, not fallen angel, it's the child between a fallen angel and a human. So if this creature has existed since the times of Noah, it would be smarter than to run out a cave with a stick at guys who have guns. How does it know it has guns? It's been living in a cave all of its life. It just killed a bunch of guys with guns. That's why they were out there searching for that patrol. So you have someone who's existed for over 6,000 years still running around with a stick. So it's a stupid. If it exists, it's stupid. It would have never it lasted that long. It's not like this is the first time it's ever run into people with guns. It's in the middle of Af- Afghanistan during a war, and Afghanistan's always in the middle of a war. It would have been fighting Taliban people, and then it would have been fighting Russians before that. On and on and on. So I think that's ridiculous. Two, I think people who listen to the show regularly recognize that story. That story is almost. Almost, beat for beat, the story of the human Bigfoot War of 1856, I think it was, which we covered probably like 20 episodes ago. And that was a story where a bunch of kids went missing from a, a like a tribe, a native Choctaw, I think they were, a Choctaw tribe in America. A bunch of kids went missing. A search party was sent. Search party shows up, finds remains of the kids. There's three Bigfoot instead of just one giant, but there's three of them. The leader charges one of the Bigfoot and is immediately killed in combat. And then the rest of the people, the rest of the troops are suddenly awoken from their shock at what they're seeing. And they shoot the creatures in the face till they die. It's the same story. It's the exact same story. The only thing that changed is in the original one, it was Joseph Lafleur. This one, it's Dan. We don't know what his rank or his last name or anything like that is. It's almost the same. It is the same story, with just little details missing. People are missing. They find the remains first. Then they face the creatures. One person runs, gets killed, and then everyone else gets shot in the face. And then the bodies in the Bigfoot one are buried or burned, I think is what they do. They burn them in this one. The bodies carted away i don't think i think the idea that giants prove the bible exists is a stupid one there's a lot of stuff in the bible that gets proven every day all the time there's a lot of stuff and i'm not saying about like angels are everywhere (laughs) i'm talking about you can go to places in the bible and be like oh look here's this building that is listed being built in this book the, the Smithsonian is not going destroying Jerusalem. They're not knocking down all these monuments. That stuff proves that the Bible is is at least a historical document. In that case, are they taking? They're not smashing minute bull over the head. They're like, no more giants. All basketball players are only five foot six. Doesn't make sense. If we discovered the skeleton of a giant, atheists aren't going to go, well, I guess that not believing in God didn't work out for me. Time to worship. Time to worship the Almighty. It's not the way it works. That's, but that's this, that's the thing. These people believe that giants exist, but they can't find proof of giants. Therefore, someone must be destroying the proof is the logic. I don't think most people would go... I think most people don't know that giants exist in the Bible. I think most people don't know the story of the Nephilim. It's barely mentioned in the Bible. You have to go to, like, the Book of Enoch. We've talked about that before. The only weird detail about this... I think this whole story's fake. I think, again, it's a fable that... I think it was a fable invented for the internet, but it's possibly a story 
that people told new recruits in Afghanistan to make them wet their BDUs. It's possible that it was just a myth that was being passed around that's now moved into regular culture. We've And we've covered stuff like that. Sailors have started old sea stories that have become thing. I got an uh, email from a listener known as Blay, and they said, hey, have you ever heard of Paul Bunyan? I was talking about Paul Bunyan. That was a story that started off as lumberjacks talking in the woods to each other, telling new re- new lumberjacks about, oh, there was used to be a guy here named Paul Bunyan who chopped down 10 trees in a day. And that ended up becoming a myth that America believes. So you'll have these stories be told in these little subcultures that end up pouring out into the into the national or, you know, the global consciousness. This story has gone viral. There's only one detail that I find super weird about it. And it's actually a detail being used to debunk the story. Snopes investigated this because it was a big internet rumor legend at the time. And it's still flying around. The amount of people who requested this story should show how much it's been covered. And I can almost guarantee I've covered it and people are still going to request it. People are still going to be like, hey, have you ever done an episode on the giant Akandahar? It's just a growing myth. I think it's an interesting one because it involves military. It has It's a group that we don't really know a lot about unless you're in the military. It involves giants getting shot. It takes place... I did that episode a long time ago, What Makes a Good Conspiracy. It's time, it's distance, and it's a group you don't trust. And this includes all three of those. It includes the government. You don't trust them. It took place back in 2002, 2003, and it's in a country we'll never, ever go to. It's never going to be open for commercial. It's never going to be open for tourism, at least not in our lifetime. So it fits all those key components. It has action in it, a mysterious government cover-up. Snopes investigated this, and they said when they look, there was no reports of a patrol being destroyed in Kandahar, so that part of it falls apart. They said when they look at people named Dan or Daniel who died in Kandahar in 2002, there was someone who died. In Kandahar in 2002. Their name is Dan. There was an explosives accident. They were trying to undo some explosives. And it blew up. And it killed someone named Dan. And three other people. So you go. Maybe that's just a cover story. And I honestly because again. I believe this stuff while I'm researching. And I go well that would be a convenient cover story. But. I just kind of put it away. I was like, oh, you know, that's horrible that we had these four Americans die in this tragic accident and just went away from it. Just kind of kept going on with my research. And then as I was finishing everything up, I went back to the Snopes article to give it another reread. And that's when I noticed something. In Kandahar in 2002, four U.S. troops died in a single incident. Staff Sergeant Brian T. Craig member of the 710th Explosive Ordnance Detachment, Staff Sergeant Justin J. Galoski, 710th Explosive Ordnance Detachment, Sergeant Jamie O. Moggins, 710th Explosive Ordnance Detachment, Sergeant First Class Daniel A. Romero, 19th Special Forces Group. So a member of the Special Forces named Dan, died in Kandahar in 2002. It's possible that the people who made this story up was able, just out of coincidence, to pick a guy named Dan in the Special Forces who died in Kandahar in 2002. 
Dan is not a unique name. It's possible that some sick jerk saw a Special Forces officer die in the news, saw the name listed in the news, and decided to use that name for his made-up story. And if anyone ever asked, go, it's just part of the cover-up. Which would be disgusting if somebody did that. But it's possible. And it is very, very unlikely, very unlikely, that a military or governmental group in search of proof of giants came across the body of one. And while it's being loaded onto the plane, the phone calls are being made. It's going to go here. We're going to steady it. We're going to cover this up. And then they get word that a member of the Special Forces team got killed. How are we going to explain the fact that this Special Forces operative died? And they go, has anyone else died recently? It is a war zone. I'm sure we can find a big explosion. Not a lot of evidence left afterwards. Put them in there. Send out the press release. And get that body to us as soon as possible. I don't think the story of the giant of Kandahar is true. But I also have a hard time trusting coincidences. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.